so glad you found us on the map, the Mental Health and Addiction Podcast. I'm Kimberly Walsh, and I'm here with my fellow co-host, the outspoken Mr. Andy Panda Bernstein. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Long. Hello. We're going to introduce our guests in just a minute, um, but just a quick background on us. Chris Long has been in this industry for many years, uh, dedicating herself to working with families and helping people get into treatment. And Andy has been an advocate for mental health and addiction, both as the producer of Crosscheck Radio, as well as through his own experiences. And as for me, I'm a person in long-term recovery and the founder of a sober home for women on Grady's Landing. Put this podcast together because all three of us are very passionate about reducing the stigma around mental health and addiction. And we believe that the more light we shed on these topics, the less people will stigmatize and otherwise punish those who suffer from these diseases. Moreover, we hope the information we provide and the topics we discuss will help encourage people to seek treatment. Um, thanks to Foxborough Cable Access TV, we now have the ability to take your questions live during the show. And you, we have all of our episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. So please post and share the show with your followers and don't forget to tag your friends. All right, I'm gonna turn it over to Andy. Everybody, how are you all doing, you all doing today? Everybody, everybody well? In this wonderful COVID dream, waiting tonight for our school committee to decide what way our schools are gonna go uh, in about a month. So yeah, in the ballast. Yeah, it's very confusing. Confusing what's going on right now. And uh, Kimberly? Yeah, it, it's, it's a crazy world we live in, that's for sure. Um, hopefully our guests will give us some hope today and some, uh, some positive things we can take away from this whole coronavirus nightmare. Yeah, we'll get to that in, in a few. And then uh, Willie, Hello. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a concern about the school starting up again. My youngest son teaches, a, you know, at uh, in a high school, and he has uh, lupus, which is an autoimmune disease. So, I'm not, I'm not really too thrilled about him being around incubators. You know, so I don't know what they're going to do. He, he should be able to do all online courses, but we'll see. I was just at the doctor early this morning, and wow, that was weird. It was weird that I had to like check in and I had to wait and I had to get an x-ray, but I had to call to get the x-ray. And once I got the x-ray, then I had to call to see the doctor. Are they x-raying your brain to make sure it's still there? Yeah, an x-ray on my brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's Cypress Hill song, Insane in the Membrane. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, no. Um, uh, so anyway, you know, let me share a quick article with everybody. This came to us from themighty.com. And the article says, new study suggests COVID-19 survivors often face mental health struggles. So we kind of had talked about that last week, but I guess, or in the previous show, but what they're saying is that they studied um, more than half of the people who survived COVID-19, you know, a new study, and that they have developed a mental health condition after the getting through the virus. And um, the research was published in the Journal of Brain Behavior and Immunity and looked at participants who were hospitalized during the coronavirus and their mental health diagnosis. So the study was done by asking individuals to fill out a questionnaire at one month follow-up appointments after to hospital treatment. And so this is the first study looking at mental health outcomes following 
hospital treatment for COVID survivors. Now, some of the, the statistics are they had 402 adult participants. The questionnaire screened for post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, anxiety, insomnia, and obsessive compulsive symptoms. The responses showed that um, following the prevalence of mental health impacts, 28% for PTSD, 31% for depression, 42% for anxiety, 20% for OC, uh, obsessive compulsive symptoms, and 40% for insomnia. And they also said that 56% of respondents were in the diagnosable range for at least one condition. So- um, I'm curious to see, you know, Willie, what's it called when you don't want your homophobic, when you don't want to leave the home? Agoraphobe. Agoraphobia. 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 Yeah. How many people are going to become agoraphobic because of what social media and the news and the world has done to us? Like how many people are already doing that? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost a situational agoraphobia, you know, where, yeah. you know, it, where where people would have it without the covid you know i think this is you know people are displaying the signs and symptoms of it though now but it's based on a situational which is getting the virus so yeah. uh you know and and people you know i mean uh, clients of mine are hitting the pandemic wall i mean you know i've had several 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 clients you know ocd and they're germophobic and you know they're they're inpatient you know i've had a few that have had to go back to inpatient. I, I have one woman that she said if she could buy hand sanitizer and 55 gallon drums she would she would buy it you know and it's like you know and Clorox said that we're not going to see their wipes back on the shelves readily available until 2021 wow so the according to the BBC, psychiatrists are actually warning of a tsunami, a tsunami of mental illness. Yeah. They are saying um, they're dealing with a mental health crisis while patients shun routine appointments. Willie, I don't know in your world. Are, are you? I mean, I'm getting bombed now. I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting don't use that term, please. Yeah. I'm getting inundated with requests for referrals. You know, I'm, I, you know, anywhere, you know, some weeks it's three to five, you know, other weeks it's five to 10 and I don't have the space. So I'm constantly trying to refer to colleagues and now they don't have the space. So, I mean, you know, it's re really, really taking off, you know, the need for, uh, you know, the need for mental health services. And then, as I noted in a few other shows, there's a sort of a stigma that's creeping back in again, too. Oh, if you don't have, you know, a COVID or a physical illness, then, you know, hey, we're trying to take care of this. So those right. people will have to wait. So. Really, what do you tell them? I'm just curious. What do you tell the people who have that agoraphobia? What, what do I tell them? I actually have a, uh, I actually have a handout that was put together by, uh, uh, but by a psychologist up on the North shore and it's, you know, how to get through, how to get through the quarantine, you know, how to get through the COVID quarantine. And if, if you want, I'll be happy to send it to anybody. It's like 20, 24 points and things to bear in mind and stuff. So what I'll do with clients is I'll often, I'll go through this list with them and then we'll start talking, you know, outside the list too. What, what can you be doing? You know, great. This is a great segue, Willie. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because our guest. Though. Yeah. Terry Finnegan Lynch, who oh, Kimberly's going to Hi, Terry. We were so rude. We didn't introduce our hi, Terry. I'm Andy. This is Chris. And that's Kimberly. And that's hi. Willie. Um, <laughs> and Kimberly's going to introduce Terry because this is going to be some of the things that she's going to talk about today. So Excellent. Excellent. Kimberly, exactly. get away, my friend. <laughs> well, like Andy said, I'm glad you met everybody. I was going to um, 
do that. So um, yes, so Terry is a certified uh, health and life coach and um, she's come on the show today. Actually, Fox Cable Access is picking up her new show called Lofty Questions, which she has a YouTube channel, which um, I think Mike will post for us a little bit later. Um, but welcome to the show, Terry. Tell us a little bit about your story and how you came to uh, create Lofty Questions. Well, thank you guys. This is truly an honor to be here. And um, I've watched some of your broadcasts for the first time, um, not knowing about your program and very impressed with um, the conviction and passion, um, the knowledge that you all share. Um, I am in long-term recovery as well. Um, I got sober in 2002 and that journey took me through many, many experiences. One of them becoming um, a nurse when I was 52 and I worked in cardiology for 10 years and felt very frustrated by the fact that people didn't get better. So I said, how can I really help people? And I went back to school to become a health and life coach. So I've been doing this for a couple of years now. And what happened when COVID and the shelter in place happened um, for me as a, as a recovered senior living alone, um, it became quite overwhelming on the Fan of feeling good and feeling bad and so I used my coach to figure out what could I gain from this experience instead of um, staying in the losses so lofty questions is based on the, the structure of how coaches work to find out what do you want what stands in the way of getting it and then what tools do you need to get it, to actually have it so currently I'm working with a couple of 20-somethings who both have addiction um, tendencies. Um, and uh, what, we're, what we do together is to look at really um, what, you, what are you afraid to ask for in the fear that you won't get it and giving them the space to have the choices within um, that framework. Um, I wouldn't classify either as chronic um, addicts, but both have put their substances down um, through this work. And the, the idea is, you know, this is a, a global pause. Um, how can we let this serve you? Um, and how do you feel about the amplification of what, what I refer to as Static. So prior to COVID, I had a lot of static that was unhappiness. But when COVID and shelter in place happened, it became really loud and I couldn't ignore it. And so I think that that's the opportunity is to um, find these underlying causes that um, drive the, um, the need for a substitute to answer that question and that emotion. So that's what we've been doing is through, through this um, um, structure of life coaching, um, allowing these kids to really ask for what they want. And so both of them have up-leveled their jobs, have better relationships with their parents, um, have left toxic relationships and are using um, other tools than um, substitutes to find happiness. And we're halfway through our program. 
so what I've found is that, you know, the Zoom calls with AA, you know, they're wonderful because you can, you can go anywhere in the world <laughs> and join one. Um, and yet the fact that we're not in those halls is um, creating a really big void about the support that people deserve and need. And although I'm only helping a couple of people, this structure has been very, very useful for their um, root causes, um, that emotion underneath, the unmet need underneath. And uh, so that's what we work on. And Lofty Questions is um, a t TV show that poses a question and then I use these strategies to show as if you were in a, a session with me how it works. And it gives you the opportunity to apply it to yourself because then I have um, a guest who explains how it worked for them. And, uh, and so that's the, new, the, the launch of the program. Could you give us an example, Terry, of some of the questions that you ask your guests on your show? Yeah, the first one was um, really about the pause. So because um, everything, uh, you know, shelter in place made us go physically inside, it also allowed us to go emotionally inside and listen to your unmet needs. So the first step was being in appreciation for the pause because the the norm is multitasking and being involved in so many things and that was subtracted from us and we usually look at subtraction as a negative that's a loss and instead I frame it to say this is an opportunity pause is the opportunity to ask what is your unmet need so um, the paradigm in this is that when we pause it, um, it gives us choices because what I saw in myself in that shelter in place was um, two things one was that I was really ignoring how lonely I was as a, as a senior um, and the other was that I live a rat race <laughs> so those are the two things that I really listened to in the pause and then with my coach, um, we asked, you know, what do you want? And, you know, I listened to my heart and I heard the answer that I want to be running across. Actually, it's that field right over there behind me um, on my 63rd birthday with a new dog. And my coach said, oh, you want a dog? I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yes, I do. And, you know, I now have this beautiful puppy, Darby. And I get Aww. outside, I'm, I get love, and I have a responsibility, and it fills that unmet need that was, um, you know, what I used to fill with alcohol and what was the potential risk if I didn't uh, listen to the unmet need that I heard during the pause. So what we do in the, in the, um, in the interview is have a client who explains who experienced the pause and also made a change like I just, just described. Um, and so the paradigm is that a pause creates choices and choices create change. What do you want? Yeah, I love that. Andy, did you have something you wanted yeah, to Yeah, so you, you had mentioned that you're in sob sobriety. Um, can you speak to a little bit, if you wouldn't, if you'd be okay with it, a little bit about um, kind of your personal story? 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I was telling Kim when we spoke um, yesterday, I, I'll tell people my story in an elevator. <laughs> so I love sharing it because it's, it's quite miraculous actually. Um, I um, was married to um, a gentleman who um, felt betrayed by, by me and became very violent in that. And I come from a, a long line of alcoholics, my mother, my sister, all my aunts and grandparents. And I knew that I had this vulnerability to drink. Um, so this relationship was a perfect fit for me to give myself permission to drink in that chaos and anger of the household. But it became really um, extreme uh, years later. And um, my drinking was out of control. So I retired from my job of working in a family business and went to AA. And that was in 1999, and I was 42 years old. And I only stayed sober three months at a time, three months in and three months out, for three years. Because what I found was the pain of drinking was so great that I would have to get sober, but the pain of being sober was so great that I had to drink. So I would go back and forth in these two, these two um, drastic feelings of, of pain and suffering, a hopeless state of mind and body, whether I was sober or not. And then on Halloween of 2002, my 16-year-old son said, um, Mom, I will not live like this another day. One of you has to go. And Brian was advocating for his wellness. And he gave me permission to advocate for mine. And I left that day with the shirt on my back. And I didn't drink for a few days. And then I drank like a, a fish for a few more. But I woke up on November 11th. And I raised my head to heaven. And I said, God, you've got this right. And I've been sober since. The obsession and compulsion to drink vanished. And I went back to all my AA meetings and I um, did the work, um, used a sponsor, did my steps, prayed. Um, and the journey began in that moment where I asked a power greater than myself to do what I couldn't do for myself. And, you know, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. For me, the slowly was the three years that I couldn't surrender that I was still in the barbershop getting a haircut, so to speak, right. by staying home, right? And then I left, and then it was just me and my disease. And that separation allowed me to really ask for what I wanted. It was a, it was a big pause, actually. Um, and being alone and, and without excuses, um, I truly invited the miracle into my life and, I was blessed with it in an instant. Um, I went to an AA meeting that afternoon at Norwood Hospital in the uh, cafeteria, and uh, there were a few of the elders sitting against the wall where they always sat, and they looked at me, and I was still covered with black and blues, and uh, one of them, an Irish gent, said, um, we didn't think you'd make it. Wow. And there I was. You know, well, so I did everything yeah. AA asked me to. I went individual therapy, group therapy, retreats. Sister Maurice was there the whole time. 
a great mentor and uh and then you know nursing school and coaching anchored my mission to find that underlying cause and help people with all my experience to find it too what's missing in your life what's the unmet need and uh, coaching helps do that and mental illness is um you know one of the you know, I kind of look at it as those four tires on a car. You know, if you've got four flat tires and you only inflate one, you're still stuck. You can't move. You can't go anywhere. So what I look at in my experience is, you know, what are your four tires? Is it mental health? Is it domestic violence? Is it addiction? Is it, um, you know, uh, disruptive behavior? And let's get all four tires filled with air and, and look at it, the whole picture. So that's what my hope is as a life coach. Domestic. Okay. So, so, you know, let's back, if we can back up for a second, we talk about domestic violence, um, which is Mm -hmm. obviously, you know, very prevalent now too, or, you know, as part of the um, discussion in society, how how did you deal with that? What were the, you know, how did you um, start to, to, to address that as well? It was very challenging. I mean, when I when I met the when we met a twenty year old, um, I was afraid of him then, but I also had this underlying belief that no one else would love me, so I stayed. So that that there, um, that message was an underlying piece, um, and uh, the the. The problem that I found or the solution that I found is that his violence and my addiction were a perfect match. Because in the end, I would actually get up, get him angry at me. So I would have permission to drink because I knew that I was dying as an alcoholic and I needed this real big reason to be able to drink with permission because I was already going to AA. So there's this vicious cycle that we play as the victim because we're also a perpetrator um, in it. um, Willie, question for you working in the, in private practice and obviously in the uh, addiction field, how often do you see uh, domestic violence as part of the people that you treat is that uh something prevalent that yeah uh, i mean it's a common denominator i I actually have a student who this semester was doing her internship for a domestic violence group up in the burlington area uh mass and uh and she said you know at the be prior 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 to the covid they were getting maybe three to five calls a week and then when covid came all of a sudden she's getting three to five a day i mean it just increased and package stores open and everything i mean you know it just really uh exacerbated the whole deal so especially uh, as, being at home with everybody and yeah yeah i mean as far far as up on the north shore with my practice and stuff i do get clients in you know from time to time with some domestic violence issues and up on the north shore uh, we have an organization hawk hawk on the north shore and they address all the domestic what does violence. that stand what does that stand for yeah you would ask me <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna have to look it up for you just the way i am but but then uh cambridge health alliance they also have vov victims of violence if you're closer to the boston area and stuff too but but, yeah, uh, I went through, um, I went through Dove, D-O-V-E, Dove. Um, out of Israel, 
and it was so interesting because I would look live with these women and I said, you guys are messed up. Like I couldn't even see my own story yeah. at that beginning as being as crazy as it really was. It, there's a very blind eye to the chaos because it fills a need. Um, to me, it did anyway. Hawk, 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 I just have to interject. It's uh, Hawk. Actually, I just, I just found it. Hawk, Hawk stands for uh, healing <laughs> abuse, working for change. Healing abuse, working for change, and they're based in Salem. So you had mentioned, right. you know, four, four tires. Um, was that kind of a metaphor? I mean, can you, you know, are yeah. there four key a- things that you try to use in, in reference to the tires analogy? Yeah. So I, what I do with my clients is I actually I'm a photographer, so I use images that the, the um, client can relate to. And then I put a, um, a, a phrase, a mantra, a paradigm in the image, and I give them, them one, two or three each week, and it builds a visual book on what we're doing. So when, you, when we get to um, the fourth session, um, it, we look at, the co- so, so to speak, the comorbidities of your struggle. You know, what else is going on um, that you need to resolve? So I found an axle with four tires on it. Okay. But I learned it really when I was a mental health worker at Westwood Lodge, um, which was an addiction dual diagnosis unit. I worked yeah. there for two years in early recovery. And that's when I first started to use the language um, because there were being dual diagnosed, there were multiple um, issues that, you know, the kids would take their pills but drink or, you know, not go to their psychiatry appointment or, you know, so I was looking at it to say, so they can relate to it, that there's, there's, there's not just one problem here. And if, if you have three fat tires, you're not going anywhere. So where do you want to go and how do you want to get there? Bring value to each of these things. When you, I just, I just have to say, Andy, it, it, it just cracked me up when you asked, is, is that a metaphor? Having the comic mind, it's like, no, no. She has people come in with four tires and they sit around and they blow up one and then they blow up another one. No, it, it was a no, I'm, I'm question. No, is that a metaphor? It's no, like, no, 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 no. What I'm trying to say is, <laughs> yes, four tires, but are there, what I meant was, are there specific. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> I love the levity, though. I love the levity. Really. You're not Sorry, coming I on anymore. You're off. Yeah. it. Goodbye. You can hang up. No, I'm kidding. Sorry, um, I cracked me up. Go ahead. I love you. Um, yeah. So that metaphor. So I know you know what I meant, but my my question to you is: four tires. Yes. Okay. So when yeah. you, when you deal with someone who, who comes to you, cause I've gone to a life coach before, um, years ago, okay. um, feeling very stuck, like where, where am I headed? What am I doing? Where mm-hmm. am I headed? And, you know, I spent time and we kind of wrote out on, on the, uh, on a board kind of where, what, mm-hmm. what my goals are, my aspirations and, and things like that. So, um, you know, is it what is there a big difference between somebody who is in recovery or an addiction and treating them compared to someone who isn't or is it still kind of the same principles of moving forward in your life like it does your 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 you know your approach does it differ it's um 
uh, coaches are trained with um, different guidelines. So the spine of my work is anchored in um, programming, identity, beliefs, decisions, behavior, and outcome. So most time people look, start at decisions. What decisions do you want to make about your life? And you're like, okay, I want to, you know, I want to be a successful entrepreneur. I want to lose 30 pounds. I want to have a better relationship with my kid. And you start with that decision. But what we find in our coaching model is that's not really sustainable because if you don't go to the programming identity and beliefs, then you're, then you slip back into the boomerang of who I am that is in that underlying model of my story, which often is created, written, and marked in time by the time you're six years old. So my story as a daughter of an alcoholic mother um, was victim hero. By the time I was six years old, my story was victim hero. And it played out right to the day that Brian asked me to leave at 45 years old. So what I do with my clients is we look at what is your program like, what is your operating system? Mm. What is your belief? What is your identity that brought you to that belief? And what is the programming that wrote the story from, from your you know, family of origin is mostly where it comes from. So the reason that the, my work is um, evolutionary for the client is that we go back to the beginning and we say, someone else wrote that story for you. Right, you got to deprogram. You're deprogramming yourself. Deprogram- so we literally re- reprogram the brain so that the habits that you're in now that are dependent upon your story and your operating system, if we change the operating system, your habits change automatically. Um, I, so. No, that, that, that's great. And then my, my question is, is that um, my other question is, is because, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people and I, I want to hear from you guys as well, but I talk to a lot of people who, um, you know, ask for advice, right? Whether it's my sister, my cousin, people are always like venting to me and they're looking for answers, but they're really not looking for answers. They're just looking for an ear on the phone. But as a <laughs> practitioner, do you ever get frustrated? Like you're not listening to what I'm saying and you're not taking action. Can you shed some light on that? Does that ever take place with you? Honestly, like the, as a you well, ever I mean, get I get I get referrals all the time from from people in other disciplines, you know, that don't want to work with addiction clients because of the ambivalence factor. It's like you, you tell them what they need to do and they don't do it. And it's like, well, how good are you as a therapist at being able to work with ambivalence? I want to use. I don't want to use. I want to use. I don't want to use. So, yeah, I mean, it depends on the discipline a lot of t- times that you're in or coming out of, you know, I mean those of us that work in addiction know that it's there, you know, and it's something that we have to contend with and we use motivational interviewing or, you know, whatever else. You know, You're but, human. Right. And, and then yeah. do you get to the point where it's like, you know what I'm wasting, you know, maybe this isn't, I can't help you. Right. Like, I mean, do you ever get to the point where you're like, I can't help you. I mean, Chris, you work with a lot of folks, Kimberly, you work with folks. Do you ever find like, they wow. usually walk away from me first. Yeah. I would. Don't walk away. I don't. I don't walk away from anyone. You know, they yeah. walk away from me, and that's. Right. It. I still have a list. I still have a list of people that, you know, I started with, and then they, they they ghosted out. And once a month, I have this list of people, that I just send them a text, and I just say, "Hey, I'm still here. No shame, no blame. You want to call me? I'll be around." Exactly. You know? They walk yeah. Because you know, because we go somewhere, they're on. Un- they're uncomfortable. At the end of the day, that's just it. 
we start to open Pandora's box and, and, you know, we discover, we help them discover, you know, things that are very uncomfortable that they don't want to talk about. And, you know, somebody who's in the throes of addiction, you know, telling them that we have to talk about it will make them feel better is really scary. It's, it's, it is. Know, I don't like going to the yeah. I think it's been it's been one of the one of the ben, one of the things I've been surprised about doing the teletherapy piece now because of the COVID too is that I'm finding that people because we're not actually in a room face to face but we're face to face on a screen that a lot of times they'll they'll open up and tell me more than they would it would take a longer period of time if we were yeah. face to face than if we're on a screen on a screen I'm tending I'm tending to get information faster than I would normally you know it would take a longer period of time you know to build up a trust you know meeting face to face than the screen action is so Kimberly yeah I agree with that Willie I think that people have so a level of comfort when it's not uh face to face Mm. Uh, you know you can you say more on the phone sometimes because people can't see you or they can't I'm not sure what that is a detachment or something that makes them feel Mm. safer I'm I'm not sure but I I definitely think that that's that that's true for sure but I wanted to go back one thing that um that Terry indicated you said that by six years old, your story is written. Is that, where did you come up with that or where did you get that? It's actually science. Uh, it's uh, where, um, where the, um, I'm not actually sure of where it originated from because I don't, I have, I drank for 25 years. So those kind of details leave me, but um, it's, it is, uh, it's a, it's a scientific, um, confirmation that by the time you're six maybe eight years old that stage of development of what your story is is done so maslow's um i mean eric erickson's stages of development trust versus mistrust autonomy versus um uh whatever the word is but there's there's three key stages that occur by the time you're six years old and there is where your story is anchored so that by the time you're in first grade you're literally operating with it and it works really well because you created it. It works in the environment you're in. However, it gets old by the time you're 15. By the time you're 15, it doesn't really work anymore, especially if it came from the weaker side of growth and development. So I grew up totally not trusting from the cradle, from my crib. I knew, I remember not trusting. So each time I moved into a next stage, I moved into a stage that was weaker than um, weakened by the earlier stage also coming from a weaker side so what I did in recovery was without coaches but just in this you know gift of awakening was I I played that story from my crib where I was crying for help and someone opened the door and put their hand down and shut the light off and left left the room and left me in darkness and I knew that's it. I have, I'm on my own. And I saw that story differently. The hand came in, shut the light off, and I heard in my head, in my heart, it's nap time, little one, go to sleep. So what I created as a trauma in my early stages of development, I rewrote as um, the story I really need to live in, and which was probably more accurate. The stories don't really matter if they're real or imagined. It just matter that they're your story to tell, hmm. that you live by. Very true. So we go in, look at that, and in regards to the the 
people not staying. So the spine of what I work with is session five, and there are 12, is sabotage. So I go through one, two, three, and four, and people start to grow incrementally. But the paradigm I use to introduce this to people is small hinges swing big doors. No matter a castle or a shack, there's hinges that swing the door. So we usually think, I've got to lift this big door and move it. But what I do is get hinges that allow you to move the door. So session one, two, three, and four are those hinges. And five comes in, you're like, okay, I'm actually doing good. And they run. Now, right now I'm working with a 72-year-old, a 24-year-old, a 28-year-old, and a 59-year-old. And every single one bailed in week five. Wow. It's predictable. Why? So what I do is I laugh. And I, and I think did exactly what, what nature wants you to do. Run and hide. And this is why. And now I'm going to introduce how we sabotage our lives when they start to get good. And here are the tools to use to recognize your own sabotage. Why do you think people do that? Why do you think people do the sabotage? They can't well, own. There's a, there, yeah, because there's the fear that I will, ha- I will have to own this new life. Mm. And I won't be able to. Because. Ordinarily, we make changes from decisions, but here we're making changes from core. So they mistrust that the goodness that they're feeling is sustainable. But because there's 12 sessions, what follows anchors that it is sustainable and it is yours to choose and own. And so nature says, so what I also teach is that there are three brains. I mean, we have our left and our right that everybody knows about. But we have a a brain at the base of our skull, which is the reptilian brain. It's our original brain from being a mammal. And Mm -hmm. it is fight, flight, or freeze. Then you have your limbic brain in the middle, which is about emotion. And the cortex brain, which is the enlightened brain of mankind. So what I teach is, what brain are you operating from? And usually the critter brain is fight, flight, or freeze. Everybody recognizes it. Everybody goes there. Mm -hmm. And what I to say, thank you, when that critter brain shows up, instead of fighting it, we go in and we say, thank you for trying to keep me safe, but I feel like I'm going to be okay. I'm going to try to go for this walk that, or leave the house or call a friend or whatever that small hinge is. And what you do is you give permission for the critter brain to try to keep you safe and and actually stagnant right where it knows and you say thank you and that gratitude releases the pressure to stay there and then the cortex brain can take its practice into the change and then you're not competing anymore you're not the cortex brain and the critter brain aren't competing but doesn't it start because i'm going through some of this now doesn't it start where like because you you've been programmed a certain way and then when things start to get better for you then you start to worry that the other shoe's going to drop in a sense exactly well i mean it's all kinds of different ways that people you know go into that fear factor um what i but you know we learned in aa that there's five forms of fear right instead of the 99 that made to my fear list I had 99 different words for fear when I did my fourth step. There are five. Um, fear of, of uh, other people's opinions, fear of success, fear of failure, fear of not getting what I want, and fear of losing what I have. So 
So I show people there's five fears. Here you go. Which one is your fear that's holding you right now in your present state? Because right now, that's your desired state. Wherever you are is actually your desired state. Sorry, do you because think that's where you are? There's also a level of a certain aspect of comfortability, like like people do things because they know they're comfortable. They're, that's they know what's going to happen next, so they they can you know you can be familiar with sadness, and so you kind of go towards oh, sadness. Yeah. That's what you know. You know how to do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get the people all the all the all the time that hate their job, and they'll come in, they'll bitch about a job like a tea kettle that lets off steam so it doesn't explode. But then you do a confrontation on it. Hey, have you ever thought about going back to school or looking for something else for work? I want to then hear the, that. Then right. the fear the fear comes right up. It's like, no, I'm too old. I'm too this. I'm too that. I could never do that. Then then we got to hit them with CBT. So, you know, right. they just want they just want to have an ear to listen to, not. Well, there's the fear of change, the fear of change, even, even if it's for something healthier, because, you know, people, people aren't used to being, you know, many people aren't used to being healthy. So it, it feels alien. That's where you get that impending doom feeling out of. Well, spe right. And especially if you're yeah. like going through, if you have so much drama earlier in your life and then the dust settles and then you're like, okay all the time andy like the when they come in and they start getting healthy and they're going for walks and they're eating you know nutritious food mm -hmm. and, you know what i mean like i feel good what is this what is this good feeling yeah, you know? yeah and, and it's not gonna last you know it's right. never been this smooth for this long exactly. something's gonna happen i'll blow it up myself exactly. that's what happens to, oh. happens to me that i get like wow life is really good i can't it's so well, more people break out when things are going relatively smooth than when well, that's there's the upset self -sabotage. in their lives. Yeah, I mean, that's the sabotage. When things are going smooth. Sabotage. Hi, guys. Only the main doors are will unlock. Is that a metaphor? Is that a metaphor? Is that? I think it could be a metaphor. I was just in my building because I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. So I wanted to tell you that what's next after sabotage in our in the spine that I coach through is being naughty. So first we learn how I sabotage and why. And the next week is being naughty. It's inviting the rebel child within us to uh -huh. act out. So we ask I ask all my clients to be naughty this week, not to, you know, get arrested or whatever, but to give your inner child permission to misbehave to be rebel to be heard so what happens is we get into this program we're like okay i gotta be really good and then we don't appreciate that there's that child within that doesn't want to do that so we, we intentionally reward in coaching the um weekly get naughty behavior that's that fulfill the need to totally act out so i'm coach i coach families is my practice so i have a mom and a son so the mom is a goody 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 two shoes um so she had a really real hard time with this so she was at the pool and she jumped in with all her fancy clothes on she did take her shoes off and she's like i was naughty <laughs> and cool. that gave her that relief her son has a scooter and they were vacationing on a golf course, and he rode his scooter through the sprinkler, got caught, um, but it worked out just fine. And he felt that satisfaction 
that I'm, I don't have to always be good. And so what, this is why this sign is sustainable, because I invite everyone once a week to give permission to your inner child to be a rebel and I, do it safely. I would have a difficult time with some of my clients from Charlestown and Southie, though. If I said, hey, I want you to do something <laughs> naughty, I'd probably be hearing about it on the evening news or reading about right. it in the Globe, you know, so. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to do something naughty. It, it was just one bank, you know. I mean. It's just one bank. Um, so you have a TV show you're working on. Cool. Yes, so it's the lofty questions. You know, it came out of my COVID shelter-in-place um, amplified unmet need you know so i created a program for facebook called what is your buried treasure of COVID 19 and it was a four-part series where which was a workshop and i when i was finished with it i was like this was really good content but social media is so saturated what can i do with it and my cousin is a videographer for a couple of towns up in central mass he was over for dinner and no no, we, we know we talked on the phone. It was over for dinner in December. But he said, Terry, what about a television show? I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. What do you mean a television show? And so he came here and we filmed our first episode in June and the second one in July. And it has, you know, five parts is about 30 minutes long. And so we're inviting townships to pick it up and run it on their uh, cable access channel. I have 20 towns now, uh, including Foxborough. And I raised my family in Foxborough, so that was very special um, to have uh, Foxborough to pick it up. Um, and we're filming the third episode this week, um, and it will be available like the 15th of August. So, are you going to um, have guests? Are you going to have guests on, or is it going to be more, um, you know, more more discussion, or is it how? What's the kind of the format of it? Well, the format is that I start with you know, a welcome and I, and a lofty question. And I make a decision about what that lofty question is based on where we are in our culture right now with COVID. And then I use paradigms in, in my coaching model to answer questions because they create a new way of thinking and they're clever and they're memorable. So I use a paradigm to explain how to answer the question. And then I have a guest and Kimberly <laughs> has graciously said to he would be my guest next month. Oh, good. <laughs> so in my, cool. my September episode, um, Kimberly will uh, will be my guest, and uh, and we'll share in that um, question and paradigm ahead of time, and she can see how it might apply to her life, and then um, bring it to my loft. Um, Got it. Here. Is is there? Um, can you give your website of where people can get in contact um, with you? Yeah, my website is www.masterwellness.com. That's my practice. Lofty Questions has a YouTube channel um, that you can see my episodes and experiencing them on YouTube versus on a cable network. And that's Lofty Questions with Terry Finnegan Lynch. Or you can email me um, at loftyquestions at gmail.com. Um, if you are curious about what I do or want to have a discovery call, um, those are free um, for the opportunity to say, would this work for me? Do I like to work with her? And do I, as a coach, want to work with you? Do I believe that I can hold you in inevitable success? Because um, that's my promise. Would you say if you could um, 
you know, in our closing minute, um, would you be able to say, if you could advise somebody out there who may be stuck or has some kind of blockage of how do I, how do I move forward? Is there a piece of advice or a nugget that you might be able to pass along? Um, the, the, I guess the first thing I would do is, is go to the first episode um, strategy of pause and, and try to listen to what's underneath the, the static about what do you want? What's your unmet need? Mm. And, and once you identify that, bring it to light and start to embrace it. So for me, it was loneliness. Um, and um, I was filling it with temporary things, um, you know, babysitting my grandkids or um, work or whatever. But the, it, it was still, I thought the answer was a guy. Well, it was a four-legged friend. <laughs> so um, Is that a metaphor or is that, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, so find, asking yourself in the quiet, using the quiet as an opportunity, ask yourself, what's my unmet, unmet need? And then give it permission to feel it and give it space. Uh, don't be afraid of it because that's what's holding you back. Got it. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, really great. Oh, my and thank you to Willie, too. That is our show for today, guys. Um, as you all know, we do this podcast not only to help reduce stigma, but to be of service to anyone struggling with addiction or mental illness. We have access to an entire network of professionals. So if you find the right fit, uh, please reach out uh, to our on our Facebook page and or the numbers given below our name during the podcast. So you've been listening to The Map, and we will see you all on Friday at 9.30. Thank you for supporting our mission. And thank you again to Willie. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Have a great rest of the week. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Thank you for the opportunity here.